Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we know the words of man are a waste of time. We ask that the word of God would go forth with power. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. You know what's going on in every life, the trials, the difficulties. You know those that know you, and maybe some are here that don't. And Lord, we pray that through today, that again, you would be glorified. We pray if anybody here doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. They can leave here knowing that they're going to heaven, that they're new creations in Christ, that they're filled with your Holy Spirit. We pray also for those who are new here today, we pray they would feel welcomed and loved because once they show up, we adopt them, they're a part of the family, so we pray that you would bless them as well. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 8, if you've been coming or if you have not, the theme of Hebrews chapter 8 is Jesus is better. He's better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law. He's better than the old covenant. He's better than the high priest. Jesus is better. Guys, we're living in a time right now where our country is divided. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Our country is divided. And you know what unites us and can unite us? A common love for Jesus Christ. Amen? No matter who's in the White House, Jesus Christ is on the throne. Amen? He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. They can't vote him out of office. He's a faithful God. And may I pray that we as believers would not major on the minors, that we would not get so caught up trying to win a political argument that we miss out on ministering to people. Can I get an amen to that? Guys, we, our heart should be to see people know Jesus and it's our heart to know him and to make him known. And so imagine going to the time of Hebrews. I'll bring us back to the context of the message for this morning. You know, the Hebrews, this is in the first century church. The temple is still there. But most of the first century church were almost all Jewish people who converted, who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. And when they recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, they became Christians. Well, then the old covenant was of no value anymore. It was God's plan until Jesus came. The old covenant was always pointing to Jesus. But once he died on the cross, it's not the blood of bulls and goats that save us. It's the shed blood of our Savior on the cross of Calvary. Amen. And once Jesus died on the cross, there was no more need for the old covenant. But there's still that pullback because you can imagine, maybe you got saved. Maybe you gave your life to the Lord and you're 50 years old. And for 50 years, you were going to the temple. And you hear that shofar blow and the family would line up and everybody would go into the temple. They still had the priest there. They were still making sacrifices. Everything was still taking place and you've left that behind to follow Jesus. And as you're following Jesus, two things are happening in your life. You're having people that, that are family or former friends who are attacking you for leaving the faith. And what you've really done is been obedient to the faith, amen? But they're being attacked like they've left the faith, like they walked away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when they're actually worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So just imagine how they must have felt as they're being torn away. Well, on the other extreme, Christians were being fed to lions. Christians were being covered in pitch and set on fire. Christians were being mocked. Christians were being persecuted. So you're being persecuted by the world and your family and your former friends on the other side are saying that you've left the faith. So you can just imagine kind of the turmoil that's going on in their lives. And so this letter written to the, to the Jewish believers, book of Hebrews, now you heard me say before, a book written to a Jew, to the Jews by a Jew, tell them to quit being Jews, amen? 
Because the Bible says we're neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Amen? So we're not, we no longer hold on to our, you can hold on to your nationalism to some degree, but that's not what matters. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance and God looks on the heart. Amen? So I'm not a Scottish, American Indian uh, husband who happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be all those things. Can I get amen to that? So it's our relationship with Christ that comes first. And so we've been seeing repeatedly that Jesus is better. Jesus is better, better again than Moses, than the prophets, than the angels. He's better than the high priest. Now, we get to chapter 8, we get to see the application of why it's so, such a blessing that Jesus is better. We're going to see in today's text this better covenant. Covenant just means it's a, it's a, a promised relationship that cannot be broken. You know, when we make covenants with people, sometimes we break them. But you know what? God makes covenants with us and he never breaks them. Can I get an amen to that? Speaking of covenants, welcome back, Mr. and Mrs. Ramirez. Where are they? There they are, back from their honeymoon. God bless you guys. So awesome. Love it. I love it when they honor the Lord, they get married the right way, and God bless you guys. Amen? God's already using them here. They're a blessing to us. So the better covenant, I titled the message. Grab your outline. We'll go through it. We'll get into the text Four evidences of a better covenant. We're going to see a lot of applications for our own lives. And we're going to see how ridiculous it is to even consider going back to where they once were. And maybe you're here this morning and you grow up in some kind of uh, belief system or a religious faith of some kind or denomination of some kind that was very legalistic. And the fact that you're just following Jesus, you're feeling drawn back to that old place, just like these Jewish believers were. And I want to encourage you, nothing behind you is as good as what you have now. Can I get an amen? That Jesus is the answer. He is our hope. So four evidences of a better Covenant first, the better, a better high priest. We talked about this last week. He's holy, he's harmless, he's sinless. His work is finished. We'll talk about that with some detail. He's enthroned on high and seating, interceding on our behalf, and he dwells in a heavenly sec, uh, sanctuary. Number two, a better sacrifice. All the sacrifices of the old covenant were temporary. There were sacrifices made every single day. A priest was almost as much a butcher as he was a priest. He was slitting the throats of animals. There was blood shed all the time. They were covered in blood all the time. And it was a constant reminder that there's a high price for, the rede- for redemption from sin. And without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot save us. The Bible tells us that. So all their sacrifices did, could not do the job. If the old covenant could have done it, Jesus wouldn't have had to die. Amen? So the old covenant was pointing to Jesus, but it could never fulfill what needed to be done. So as they were shedding the blood over and over and over, it was incomplete. Well, we have a better sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? You took away all of our sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but blood of Jesus. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus. So a better priest, a better sacrifice, a better temple. Boy, this would be hard for the Jews to hear this in those days. If you've ever looked at a, a model of Jerusalem in the time of Jesus, the temple dwarfed the entire city. Up on the Temple Mount, this most magnificent of all buildings, and it was created, and when people saw it, it was majestic. And when they went there to worship the Lord, when it was still in times of the Old Covenant, in obedience to God and to make sacrifices, it was the most majestic place, and it was still there. 
It was considered one of the seven, you know, the wonders of the world in those days, right? It was just the most magnificent building. And that building is still there, but now they're meeting in houses worshiping the Lord. But guys, we have a better temple. And first of all, we talk, there's a heavenly temple that this was just a pat, that was patterned after. But Bible also tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We don't just experience God when we go to a building, We have a relationship with God 24 hours a day, seven days a week because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen. When you show up at work tomorrow, the Holy Spirit just entered the building. Amen. Wherever we go, the Holy Spirit goes with us. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go to a church. We are the church. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Number four, better promises. Four promises we're going to look at there. Number one, the promise of God's grace. You know, I get this question a lot and it's hard to balance. You know, we're in second Kings and we're talking about how we are to respond and how God has blessed us and how do we respond as believers and how do we live a life sold out for the Lord? And at the same time, we could fall into the trap of thinking somehow it's our good works that save us. Works are not the source of salvation. They're the fruit of salvation. Amen. And so our source of salvation is the grace of God, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen. He paid the price. He suffered as if he lived my life and yours so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. The old covenant was dependent on man. That's why it failed. You know what the law does? Here's the rule. Here's the rules. Here you go. Good luck with that. Amen. And when you have the rules, what do they show you? What do they show you? It's not a trick question. What do they show you? We're sinners. We can't keep them. Someone's paying attention. Praise the Lord. Hey, when, we give the, when we're given the law, we recognize this is a book of rules that I can try to keep, but at some point I will fail. Amen? And the hard part about the old covenant, the hard part about the law, is it gives you the requirements with no power to fulfill it. Because guys, we can't do it apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we can never ultimately do it in the flesh. That's why Jesus did it for us. Amen? It's the grace of God and the mercy of God, and we're thankful for it. The second promise is the promise of an internal change. Let me ask you a question. We're not even in the text yet. We're going to get evangelistic. You ready? Here we go. Do you have a transformed heart? Between you and the Lord, has your heart been transformed? Has it changed? Are you different? When you gave your life to the Lord, did, did things about you? I'm not saying are you perfect. We're all, how many sinners we got? Hands up. Okay. Just checking. I want to make sure someone's sitting there going, oh, I still sin. Me too. Amen? Amen? Okay. A bunch of people, no, I don't really sin. I'm not saying amen to that. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Not just a transformed heart, but a relationship with the Lord. Do you truly know him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Do you have fellowship with God? And then finally, do you know you're forgiven? See, if you've been born again, you should have a transformed heart. You have relationship, not religion, and you should know that you've been forgiven. If you're here today, I want you to know that you can be forgiven if you haven't been yet. Amen. And if you have prayed and and repented and given your life to the Lord, you've been forgiven, even if the enemy keeps trying to tell you you haven't been. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. So we're going to see that there's a change from the inside out. We're new creations in Christ. So we're not the people we used to be. Not perfect. Again, justified, being sanctified till the day we're glorified. We're new creations in Christ. The promise of forgiveness. You know what's amazing about the the forgiveness of God? You know, God can't forget, but he can choose not to remember. Amen? 
There's a difference there. God doesn't, can't forget he's God. He doesn't forget anything. He's God. But he can choose not to remember. You know what he chooses not to remember? My sin and yours when we repent. Praise God. Amen? So I'm so thankful for that. And those are the promises of the better promise. We have the promise of God's grace, the internal change of his forgiveness, and then the promise of an eternal blessing. You know, heaven is better. Jesus is better. Can't wait to get to heaven. How about you? It's just not going to, it's amazing that we have the promise of eternal life. There's nothing the world can do to us. The worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us. We close our eyes on earth and we open them up in glory. Amen. So let's begin looking there at a better covenant, four evidences of a better covenant, beginning with a better high priest. We talked about this last week, the priesthood of Melchizedek. Remember that in those days, Jesus based on his heritage, his earthly heritage could not have been a priest because he was not a descendant of Levi, the Levites and, or of the family of Aaron. To be a priest, you had to be a Levite and from the family of Aaron. Jesus was the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David, the family of King David. So from the world's perspective, he was not qualified to be a priest. But we saw last week that he's both king and priest. Amen. And you couldn't be king and priest because the king, if the king tried to be the priest, we saw righteous judgment came. And the priest was never the one who ruled over the people. But Jesus does both. So let's begin there looking at a better high priest. Watch what he says. Now, this is the main point. I love that. So that last seven chapters I just ran by you, that Jesus is better. He's better than the priest. He's better than the Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. You can enter into his rest. He said, everything I've said so far, here it is. You ready? Here's for the main point. I love it. He says, of the things we are saying, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Amen, amen, and amen. We have that high priest. That high priest I've been describing to you, that's your priest. That high priest that we've talked about, who's, who's greater than the, the priest on this earth, that's your priest. The high priest. We have such a high priest. He's referring back to verses 22 and 23, where he says he is the surety, verse 22 to 28, excuse me, he's the surety of a better covenant. He continues forever. He always lives to intercede for us. All those promises in verse 22 to 28, that's the high priest that we have in heaven who is the one who intercedes on our behalf. He's saying, listen up, don't miss it. All those promises are in place today. Guys, we don't have a high priest when we die. We have him right now. We don't have a savior later. We have him right now. We don't get eternal life later. We have it right now. Amen. We have it right now. We're new creations in Christ. It says for such things, back in verse 26, the high priest is fitting for us. He's holy. He's harmless. He's undefiled. He's separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens. All qualities that the old covenant high priest fell short of. Was the, whole, was the, was the old covenant high priest holy? What's the answer? No. He had to make sacrifice for himself or he could sacrifice for anybody else. Amen. Was he, the word there, was he harmless? No. Was he sinless? No. Was he separated unto the Father alone? No. So the old covenant high priest that the people are trying to draw these Jews back to, come back to the flawed man. Come back to the priest that's a train wreck. 
Come back to the building that was built, part of it, by uh, Caesars, by people that were Herods, that were ungodly. Amen? Now, God used the temple, the building, but once Jesus came, the temple was needed no more. When Jesus died on the cross, remember the veil was torn in the Holy of Holies from top to bottom. Amen? Because now we can enter into the presence of God anywhere and any time, and there's nothing Satan would love more than to restrict that to an old covenant temple. Come on back to the place of flawed men. Come on back to the place of this building. You know, the Lord's going to allow the building to be, to come down in AD 70 to remove even that temptation. See, Jesus is perfect and he's able to identify with our needs and temptations. And he's so much better than the other priests, both past and future. Why leave the better for the inferior? Now I love this. Don't miss this. Notice it says he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Jesus is seated. Now, if you were here when we went through Exodus, then God bless you for still being here. Amen. That was like seven years ago. So, but if you were not, we've talked about all the furnishings in the tabernacle and when it was built and then the temple later. And you see all the, you know, they, they, they had certain boards they had to use. They had certain coverings for the tabernacle. And then they had, you know, the bronze laver and the bronze altar and the, you know, and the golden lampstand and the table of showbread. And then, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is inside. And, and you see all these things are in the, in the Holy of Holies. But you know, one thing you don't see anywhere in the temple or anywhere in the tabernacle, a chair, because they never stop working. There's nowhere to sit down. They never get to rest. You know why? The work is never done. Because in the old covenant, men keep sinning and the blood keeps having to be shed over and over and over and over. And so they're constantly having to make sacrifices again, make prayers again, make sacrifices again, have feasts again, and over and over to fulfill the law, to fulfill the law. And there's never any rest. But when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is it's finished. It's paid in full. Guess what? He's at rest and we can enter into his rest. There's no more work. It's all been done. It's all been paid for. It's not do this, do this, do that anymore. It's done. Praise God. Amen. And so the joy that we have knowing that it is finished, he is seated at the right hand of the father and we can enter into his rest. And not feel that burden of trying to be good enough so that God will love us. Let me encourage you with something. You can't be so good that you don't need Jesus. And you can't be so bad that you can't be forgiven. Can I get an amen to that? So no matter where you find yourself on that spectrum, the answer is the same. You need the Lord. I don't think there's probably anybody in here that thinks they're so good they don't need Jesus. And if you do, we'll talk for three minutes. We'll, we'll put that to rest. Can I get an amen? But there, and you got a pride problem too, so repent. But here's the reality. The reality is that all the false religions today, they'll have something in common. It's all based a lot on the works of man. They make God less and man more. And you have to do this and you have to do this and you have to do this. You gotta have your first Holy Communion, you gotta do this. When my mom died, I shared with you guys, you know, pastor's wife loved Jesus. They kept trying to send someone in to give her last rites. Oh, you need to do this, it's very important. Uh, no, she's in heaven, she's good. Can I get an amen to that? absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. But we live in a time where we get so ingrained with thinking we got to do all these other things to somehow earn uh, salvation. Guys, Jesus made it all. See, we're all sinners. We can't have a sinner pay for sinners. That doesn't work. 
And it's such a burden. I had a Jehovah's Witness call me the other day, and we're talking on the phone, and, and I go, bro, I know you're just getting another mark on your name, but you can't get enough marks to earn heaven. Oh, well, that's right. You don't believe in heaven. You think you inherit the earth. Bro, you can have it because we're going to heaven. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but, but the reality is that we live in a time where there's this burden always that I've got to do better so I will be worthy of God. You can never do enough to be worthy of God, but you can never be so bad that he doesn't find you so worth it. Amen? The pearl of great price, the parable in the Bible where he goes and sells all that he has to buy that pearl, that's you. You are his treasured possession. He'd rather die than live without you. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding and praying for you. Next time you're tempted, remember the Lord's praying for you. Next time you're going through difficulty and trials and you're just overwhelmed, remember the Lord loves you and he's praying for you, amen? And remember that you are forgiven. You're born again. Your name's written in the Lamb's book of life and you are going to heaven. Guys, that's a hallelujah. Can I get an amen? And praise God for that. And these other priests are working and sweating and dying and being replaced. And we have a great high priest who finished the work. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and we can enter in to his rest. It says, who does not need daily as those priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, back in verse 27, the previous chapter, and then for the people, for this he did once and for all when he offered up himself. Again, Exodus 25, go look at the furnishings. I promise you there's no chairs, not a bench either. There's nowhere to sit down. Anybody had a job where sitting down would have got you fired? I worked in a lumber yard and we were cutting lumber all day and pouring buckets of sweat. If you were sitting down, you wouldn't be working. There were no chairs. There weren't. Guess what? That's how the priests were. Constant work, work. I got, got, and Jesus died. And you know why the problem that, that most Jewish people that I talk to, they just can't believe that it's so simple that Jesus is the Messiah. That's just too easy. You know what's sad? 95%, but most of you guys know we met in a synagogue and we love the Jewish people. Can I get an amen to that? And God's not done with Israel and they're God's chosen people still. But the sad part is I say, what do you have to do to go to heaven? I don't know. Do you believe there is a heaven? I'm not, I'm not sure. And yet you're going to temple every week. By the way, you haven't been slaughtering any animals. You haven't been making any sacrifices. That old covenant's not working. By the way, Jesus paid the price. You don't need to do that anymore. Can I get an amen to that? So here they are drawing them back. And you might feel the same thing. Maybe not to Judaism, but to some religious system that you grew up in. Each repeated sacrifice was a reminder that none of the sacrifices ever provided the finished salvation. The blood of animals did not wash away sin. It only covered it and pushed it forward to the Messiah who was coming. And again, the old covenant priests were sinners whose work was never done. Jesus, our better high priest, is sinless, harmless, separated, and the work is finished. Now, when it says he's seated at the right hand of the Father, he's not just seated. It's where he's seated that matters. Amen? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. The enemy wants you to think you're alone. The enemy wants you trying to be good enough in your own strength. And the enemy will constantly condemn you for what a stinking vile sinner that you are. Did anybody get an amen besides that? <laughs> he will tell you how, how brutal you are. He will condemn you. you know, and next time he reminds you of his past, you've heard it said, remind him of his future. Can I get an amen to that? 
Because where's Satan going? Amen. And he wants to take as many people there with him as he can. But see, at the right hand of the Father, his enthronement is the fulfillment of his Father's promise to the Son back in Psalm 110, where it says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's been said it's good to have friends in high places. We got a friend in the highest place. Can I get an amen? It's been said, it's not what you know, it's who you know. We know the creator of the universe. He's seated at the right hand of the Whatever trial you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, whatever health issue, financial issue, whatever anxiety, fear, depression, whatever it is that you're going through, you need to be reminded that you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. And guys, no one will ever snatch you out of his hand. That's the God we serve, amen? And be reminded of that. Be strengthened in that. Be encouraged in that. Have peace in the midst of that. When the enemy tells you you're no good, say you're right, but Jesus is, and he paid the price for me. Amen? Because that's the truth. The old covenant high priest, not only did he never sit down in the tabernacle, he never sat on the throne. And Jesus is seated on the throne. The only, only a priest after the order of Melchizedek could be enthroned, and we know that's Jesus. Verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, and not man. Jesus serves in the true tabernacle, one not made by the hands of men. Again, the temptation was to go back to the temple. The temptation was to go back to, you know, the four walls and the sacrifices of which the earthly tabernacle was made by men. You know, it tells us in scripture that God, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave him the model from what's in heaven to, to create the, t- the tabernacle on the earth. Of course, what's in heaven is more majestic. Here is an earthly version. It's a picture of what heaven is like and how we come into the presence of the Father. And that was just a picture of what's in heaven. Well, Jesus is in heaven where the temple is perfect. Can I get an amen? And it's because he is there. And that's what makes it perfect. Heavenly tabernacle is perfect. It's everlasting. The earthly tabernacle is is temporary. And again, just like the earthly priesthood. So thankful that we serve an eternal God. You can't help but think of our earthly bodies. Compare our earthly bodies with our heavenly bodies. How many of you are really glad you're getting rid of this thing? (laughs) Amen. I probably have to go in to get surgery on my other shoulder and I'm not looking forward to it, but I can't sleep at night and we're all, I'm just falling apart. My dad used to say getting old is not for wimps, amen? And the older we get, the more this thing, if you don't think you're dying, just don't shower for three days and then you'll find out, (laughs) amen? We stinketh, we got to put perfume on it and if the barn needs paint and paint it, can I get an amen? And all those things that we do because we're just dying and falling apart. Here's the good news, this is temporary, We're going to wake up with a heavenly body that doesn't need any Botox. Can I get an amen? That doesn't need any, you know, any pain meds, no surgeries. You know what? We're going to close our eyes on earth, open them up in glory. We're going to be in our perfected bodies because you know what? We're going to be in the bodies not affected by sin because we're going to be in the presence of the one who could have no sin in his presence. Amen. And I long for those days. And so the tabernacle, so it'd be like, come back to that old body. Come back to your old body. Who wants that heavenly body? Who wants that? Come back to the, to the back that creaks when you wake up in the morning. Come back to the body that your, your, your breath smells like someone died when you wake up. <laughs> Come back to the old body. Come back to the nonsense. It's so true that we're just all dying, aren't we? So compared to our heavenly ones, they're perfect and eternal. 
Yet we hold so tightly to the imperfect, don't we? People hold so tightly. I, I, you know, most guys know I have a full-time job. I sell advertising, and I have a lot of accounts that are dermatologists, and they make a lot of money making people try to think they look like they're younger than they really are. Amen? <laughs> and instead, we need to just recognize, look, this life is but a vapor, and it's okay that this tent is fading. Have you ever, how many of you guys went camping 12 years ago? You, you rented a tent, and you're worried about it right now. You drove off that. You drove away from the campground, forgetting about that tent forever. Amen, guys. This is just a tent on loan. It's falling apart. It leaks a little bit. Can I get an amen? And that's all good because we don't need it anymore. When we get to heaven. Amen. We won't need it anymore. Heaven is better. But we hold so tightly to the imperfect, much like the temptation facing these first-century Jews. See, they were being drawn back to that which they were used to. They're being drawn, you know, they would mock, where's your high priest? We got a high priest, where's your temple? You meet in a house. Where's your, you know, where's your sacrifice? All those answers is answered in one word, Jesus. Amen? He's our high priest. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We're his temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And he is the sacrifice. Amen? Jesus is the answer for all of it. And being drawn back to the old, being drawn back to that which is lesser. Guys, heaven it's homecoming, and I can't wait. You guys have probably heard the story of the, the, minister, you know, the guy who did ministry. He was a missionary for years, and he'd been gone for, out for 40 years or so. And he comes back. This is back in the days when trains and stuff. And he comes back on a train, and there's a huge crowd gathered. And he thinks they're welcoming him home because he'd been out 40 years on the ministry field, and maybe the church had gotten together to welcome him home and to, to love on him. And when he got off, there was literally no one there to greet him. And the crowd was there because there was a presidential candidate on the, on the, uh, on the train that was going to be speaking to the crowd. And he, he walked away, and he was kind of dismayed. And he's like, man, nobody came to welcome me. What kind of homecoming is this? And the Lord ministered to his heart, hey, son, you're not home yet. Amen? Heaven's our home, and that's where the real homecoming is going to take place. Amen? I so long for heaven, to be absent from the body, and to be present with the Lord. It doesn't get any better. So number one, he's a better high priest. He's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. Look at verse three. It says there, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. The sacrifice for sin is essential to the concept of the priesthood, and Jesus, representing a better priesthood, offered a better sacrifice, not the blood of bulls and goats that served only as a temporary covering. Jesus offered a better sacrifice, and the sacrifice was himself. See, no priest ever died while making the sacrifices. They always watched or participated in the death of others. Jesus the great high priest, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when John the Baptist saw Jesus be baptized, he said to the crowd that included a lot of the, the Jewish religious leaders, he said, behold the what? The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All those lambs and goats that have been slaughtered for thousands of years have all been pointing to this one, the lamb of God, who doesn't just cover the sins of the world, who doesn't just postpone or push forward the sins of the world to the next sacrifice, but takes away the sins of the world. Our sin has been taken away. It's been separated as far as the east is from the west. Praise God. It's the grace of God. 
He's a better sacrifice. He laid down his own life to atone for the sin of all mankind, a work that need never be repeated again. It is finished. Therefore, it is necessary. He also have something to offer. He's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice. And again, not a simple priest with a temporary sacrifice, but a sinless priest with an eternal sacrifice. Look over to chapter nine real quick. I hope it might be on the same page for you. Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12, I'm just going to read this to you. Look what it says. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Amen, amen, and amen. Forgiven forever eternal redemption, eternal forgiveness. So he's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. We have a better temple. Look at verse four and five. For if we who are on earth, if, we, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of heavenly things as Moses had divinely instructed them, he was about to make the tabernacle. He said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. He says there, if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest. Jesus did not qualify to be a priest according to the old covenant because he was never a priest according to the whole old covenant. He was the priest who came to establish the new covenant. Amen. He was never an old, co- old covenant priest because the old covenant priests were always pointing to him. All the Old Testament sacrifices pointing to Jesus. Every feast pointing to Jesus. Every observation of anything they made in the temple, pointing to Jesus. The temple himself, again, you go through the furnishings. You know, you have the the altar, right? It's got four points, a a a picture of the cross that someone could lay down on it and be sacrificed. The bronze laver, where they would cleanse themselves of the blood that had poured out upon them. That's what he does. He cleanses us. We see the golden lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world. We see the table of showbread. He's the bread of life. We see the altar of incense, which is just outside the Holy of Holies, where incense poured over the veil that could only be entered once a year. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. And incense is a picture of prayer. It's all pictures of Jesus. And then you get into the Holy of Holies, and you have a picture of Jesus and a picture of the resurrection with the angels on each side. Again, the cherubim, the Ark of the Covenant, a box, not a boat. Amen. And inside of it, the mercy seat under it, you have the rod of Aaron. He's the great high priest. You have a jar of manna. He's the bread of life. And you have the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. And when Jesus died on the cross, what did they see when they ran into the tomb? Angels on each end, his blood stained clothes in the middle, a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, the Bible rocks. It all points to Jesus. Can I get an amen? It's all him. It's him. It's him. It's him. It's always been him. Jesus was never meant to be in a temporary role of an earthly high priest, not even a Levite. Again, because God had some, he, he's greater than any priest who had ever lived. He's the prophesied Messiah. He's the prophet. He's the great eternal high priest. He's Lord, he's Savior, and he is King. And it said, who served the copy and shadow of heavenly things. In verse 5, there's plenty of priests could serve in the copy and the shadow on earth, but only Jesus was qualified to serve in the superior heavenly priesthood. Plenty of people were qualified to serve on earth. Only one could redeem mankind. There were plenty who could go in and make sacrifices that were temporary 
pointing to the coming Messiah, and only one who could make, could make that, pay that price and is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. In Exodus 25, it makes it clear that what was built on the earth was made according to a pattern which existed in heaven, the pattern which was shown to Moses on the mountain. The heavenly temple served as a pattern for the earthly temple and tabernacle, and Jesus' ministry takes place in the heavenly temple. So what's better, a heavenly temple or an earthly tabernacle? Well, they're not here anymore. How about the earthly temple? Oh, that's gone too. Heavenly remains forever. Amen? Now, the temple is going to be rebuilt. The Bible tells us so. I've, and we, we can have differing perspectives. I believe that'll happen after we're gone. It could start being rebuilt before we go. But we know halfway through the great tribulation with the abomination and desolation that the Antichrist will go into the, you know, and make sacrifice, claiming himself to be again kind of the positions that only Jesus can fulfill. But you know what? The first century priests took tremendous pride in the temple and for good reason because it was spectacular. But here's the reality. That temple itself the Lord allowed it to come to its own end and was built largely by corrupt and ungodly men. Herod the Great had a lot to do with building the temple. But again, God used it. It was part of God's plan until Jesus came. And now we don't need the temple anymore. It's foolish to focus on or even compare the works of men with the work of God. Amen? How can you compare what men can build? Even though God blessed it and used it, how can that compare to anything that God does? It just doesn't. It always cracks me up when coworkers and stuff are all into science. I'm into science, really. So, so am I. My, my God is omni-science because science means knowledge. He's all-knowing. Can I get amen to that? Science changed your mind. The Bible's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So is Jesus, more importantly. Can I get amen to that? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his word is perfect and without flaw. Amen? And scientists keep changing their mind. They seem to be changing their mind about something happened in China recently, but whatever. <laughs> Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God is still on the throne no matter what. We don't need to worry about that. That stuff doesn't bother me. God's faithful. I don't worry about it. Amen? Finally, better promises. Let's finish with this. You know what? Jesus is the mediator. The better covenant of promises. It says there in verse 6. It says, For he, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So we have a better covenant that has better promises. And why is that? Because it's founded on the work of the cross and not the works of men. Now, this is just tell us how well men do. Go back to when the law was given. It was given on Mount Sinai just after they escaped out of bondage in Egypt. God delivers them out. Oh, by the way, he doesn't just deliver them out with a bunch of plagues that should have got everybody's attention. The final which was the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. The angel of death passed over. Amen. That's where Passover comes from. But then they got backed up and they were whining, got part of the Red Sea and delivered them. Then they're at Mount Sinai and God speaks audibly to them. You guys remember this? It's in the Bible. And when he speaks, they're so scared to death that they're shaking the earthquakes, they're trembling, and they go to Moses, you go talk to him. Too much for us. Just go talk to him and tell us what he has to say because we can't take it anymore. We can't even be in his presence. He's so majestic. You would think that would bring about some fear of God and some obedient living. Goes up on the mountain. He's gone 40 days. When he gets back, what are they doing? They're having a drunken orgy worshiping a golden calf in 40 days. After God spoke audibly from the mountain and the earth shook. This goes to show you the old covenant doesn't work because it's dependent on stinking sinners like us. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? 
See, we can't do it. We can't be good enough. We can't do enough good things to overcome the bad things we've done. It doesn't work that way. One sin makes you a sinner like one murder makes you a murderer. Amen? And so we're all sinners and the old covenant is flawed because it was dependent on the actions of men and we will always be flawed. We will always fall short of the glory of God. Amen? That's why the new covenant is better because it's not based on ours, us. It's based on him. And because he's perfect, we can enter into his rest. Amen? He's a better sacrifice. He's a better temple. He's a better high priest. And through him, we have better promises. He's the mediator of a better covenant. Jesus has mediated a better covenant, a covenant of grace, not works, which is guaranteed for us by a co-signer. You know, that's what someone does when you can't pay the debt and they sign it for you. And that's what Jesus did. We owe the debt. We can't pay it. He paid it for us. You know what's amazing? He not only is the judge, the judges that we need it to be paid, he's also the one who steps up to pay it, and then he pays it by giving his own life. What a great God we serve. Why in the world would you want to go back to a worldly religion when you serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you have a relationship with him? In Hebrews 7.22, a few chapters back, said Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. It was a covenant by believing and receiving instead of earning and deserving. Amen? We believe it, we receive it, we don't earn it and deserve it. Uh, salvation is a free gift. If we had to earn it, it'd be a paycheck. Amen? It's not a paycheck, it's a free gift. It says it was established on better promises. Jesus has, has for us better promises. Promises to see us through the most desperate and dark times here on earth, and more importantly, promises of blessings that will outlive this life. The word mediator there is one who stands in the middle between two people and brings them together. See, we were separated from God the Father because we are sinful men and women, and Jesus bridged the gap through the cross of Calvary that pays for our sin that allows sinful men and women like us to come into the presence of Almighty God. See, God can't have one sin in heaven. He's got earth part two. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. You can have you can do anything you want. Anything anything. Don't touch that tree. Anything. Just don't touch that one tree. That's it. Anything else. And you can talk directly to me. I'm right here. We can talk. Cool today. Anything you need, anything you want, you're good. I even bought you a woman. Perfect. Okay. You're good. You got every, don't, don't touch that tree. What do they do? And we all go, Adam and Eve, you'd have touched the tree too. So stop it. Can I, can I get an amen to that? You might have lasted longer. And you know what? We don't know how long they lasted. I don't think it was very long because there's not a lot of talk between don't and then they did. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but it just shows the flaw, how flawed we are and how desperately we need him. And he's the mediator. He's the one that bridges the gap between us and him. That's why it breaks my heart when I hear people curse his name. That's why it breaks my heart when I hear, you know, his name is more often cursed than it's praised. Look what Tim Tebow did. You might have seen that video. He's swinging a golf club and he hits it real hard. And the guy says, Jesus. And he said, loves you. I'm using that. Can I get an amen? Next time you hear someone taking his name, just finish it for him. Amen. <laughs> amen. He's the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant, the one that brings us to God. Look at verse seven. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would be sought for a second. If the first covenant was what worked, we wouldn't need a second covenant. Well, we just talked about why it doesn't work because it's dependent on men. And anything dependent on men won't work. Again, 
We would be blameless, deserving of no censure if it had been faultless, but it's not. If the priest, if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second. And if God established a new covenant, it means something was lacking in the old covenant. And what was lacking was the sinfulness of man and the inability of the blood of bulls and goats to pay for our sin. Then it says in verse eight, it says, behold, or because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and dis I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So he prophesied this all the way back in Jeremiah 31 that, uh, that there's a new covenant that will be coming. And it's not the covenant that I gave them when they came out of the land because they've already failed. But that covenant is pointing to a greater covenant that is coming. And it was, it's written in Jeremiah 31 about 800 years before Jesus came. And then Jesus was always, meant. he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus didn't come up with a new covenant because the old covenant failed. He knew the new covenant was always coming because the old covenant would never work, but always be the one that would point to the one who was coming. Can I get an amen to that? And here it is in the Bible, because I meet Mormons. They'll say, well, you know, you added to the old Testament, so we just added to the New Testament, so we're just like you. Uh, no, because nowhere in the New Testament does it say there's another covenant that's coming. Can I get an amen? Nowhere does it say there's going to, if anything, it says if anybody comes to you with another message, even if he comes with an angel, hey, Joseph Smith, uh, guess what? Cast him out for he's accursed. Can I get an amen to that? That's what the Bible says. So the word of God told us in Jeremiah that, yeah, this covenant is here today. This is how we obey and honor God until, until that which is perfect has come, until the Lord comes. And guess what? But there is another covenant coming. And I'm going to put my name in their hearts. I'm going to put my spirit in them and upon them. And it's a better covenant. It says in Exodus, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. See, the old covenant was if you, if you, if you, if you. If you do this, then. If you can do this, then. If you can do this, and if there's an if you, we'll fail. Amen? The new covenant isn't if you, it's I will. I will. If you read back there, what does he say repeatedly in there? I will make a new covenant with the house. I will make a new covenant. I will make the covenant. I will be the one who fulfills it. I will be the one who pays the price instead of us trying to do it in our own strength. The word promised a better covenant and it was coming through the Messiah. Promised by God, prophesied by Jeremiah hundreds of years earlier was always God's plan. The new covenant, the promise of God's grace. The word new there is in Greek, describes something that is not just new in reference of time, but new in quality. Have you ever noticed how everything you buy at the store is new and improved? And I never noticed that there's any difference ever. Can I get an amen to that? It's new and improved. It's new iPhone. It's new, you know, new detergent, new, it's got the same problems. Can I get an amen? But what he's talking about when he, when he uses the word new here, He's talking about the quality of the covenant. It's not just the newest or latest thing. It was always the better thing. It was always the God's ultimate plan and would always come 
through his son. It said there in verse 9, they did not continue in my covenant. You know, it, it was doomed from the beginning. It was dependent upon man and his work. The law of Moses could declare God's standard, but it could never provide the power to obey it. I said it earlier, it, it, it revealed this is the standard for living, but it never gave us the power to do it. Be holy for I am holy, but no ability, no Holy Spirit to comfort us, to convict us, and to help us to walk in obedience to his word. He said that I will put my laws in their mind, verse 10, and write them on their hearts. In the new covenant, it's a transformation from within, not regulation from without. Let me say that again. The, the law was, here's all the rules, try to keep them. And the new covenant is, I've changed you from the inside out. See, the law, try, and people that try to live a legalistic way, they try to change themselves by the things they do outwardly. But guys, all the transformation came by what the Lord did inwardly. Amen? He made us new creations in Christ. And belief changes behavior, not behavior creating belief. Amen? So that was always God's plan. So when people say, well, I'll come to God as soon as I get my act together, it's never going to happen. Amen? And, and again, I'll never do that again. And then you do it again. And then the enemy condemns you. And, and so let me ask you a question. Ask Christians, even though you've been transformed from the inside out, do you still sometimes do it again? But the difference is you know that you're forgiven. Can I get an amen to that? And you're convicted when you do it. Can I get an amen to that? Amen? Because when you do it, when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you feel convicted by your sin. Conviction is a fruit of conversion. Because you've been converted, then you're going to be convicted. If you're not convicted when you sin, you've never been converted and you need Jesus. I will be their God and they shall be my people. The law is written on our hearts. The new covenant also features a greater intimacy with God than was ever available before. We are the most blessed of all people. We don't know about God. We know God. We have a relationship with Jesus. Do you know him? Do you spend time with him? Do you, do, you, do you share your heart with him? Does he minister to you throughout the day? He comforts you, he convicts you, he guides you, he leads you. That's the God that we serve. And the world is a faraway, distant God. And, and I, I've shared this before. We were in Russia and this Russian priest came out and told us that he didn't like us handing out Bibles. He said, don't be handing out these, Russian, these Bibles in Russian. These people don't need these. They just need to come down to the Orthodox Church. And we walked through the Orthodox Church, and it had a bunch of pictures on the wall, but it was deader than a doornail in there. And he said, the problem with you American Christians is you act like God is close, but we're just an infinite little speck of dust in the universe, and God is so far away, and we are insignificant. And my interpreter, an older lady, said, sir, do you read the Bible? Russian lady. And he said, uh, you know, probably not. Can I get an amen? But she said, one of the names for God in the Bible is Abba. And Abba means daddy. And daddy is never far away. Can I get an amen to that? She said, daddy is someone whose lap you can crawl up into. Daddy is someone who is always near. Daddy is someone who never takes his eyes off of you. Guys, we need to recognize who Jesus is and how much he loves you. And if you came here today feeling condemned and feeling worthless, I want you to know how much you're worth to the Lord. It's determined by what someone's willing to pay. How do you determine the worth of something? What someone's willing to pay. And this is what Jesus paid for you. Because you're worth it.
Last few verses, verse 11. It says, None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, for, for the least of them to the greatest of them. All shall know me. Again, the new covenant that will go into the millennial kingdom, it's also a possible reference uh, to the exposure to the, uh, the truth of God's word. You know, the word of God and the gospel is being preached on every corner of the earth. And there's still people that need to hear it. But I'll tell you what, and that's, our, that's a calling upon our hearts and our lives. But there's been an explosion to, expo- to the exposure to the word of God. And people will hear it. And when they hear it, they can receive the Lord without that. Again, we can lead people to the Lord, but it's the work that God does, not us. Amen? God alone gets all the glory. Verse 12 says, now watch this. For I will be merciful to the unrighteous and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will what? Remember no more. So when someone condemns you with your past sin, who's that? That's not the Lord because he doesn't remember it anymore. So when you're getting beat up, that's the enemy. By the way, temptation comes from the enemy, not from the Lord. He doesn't tempt us. He may allow us to go through tests that will grow us, but temptation comes from the enemy. The Bible tells us that with temptation, God makes a way of escape. And every time you're tempted, you can fall or you can grow. You fall when you, when you do it and you grow when you reject it. Amen? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is, that is in the world. He chooses to remember no more. You know what? When God sees us, he sees us through the shed blood of his son and he sees us holy and perfect. Amen? Not because we're perfect but because the one who died for us is. It says in, in Romans, therefore by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The old covenant sacrifices brought a remembrance of sin, not a forgiveness or, re, or remission of sin. So the new covenant has better promises. The promise of God's grace, the promise of eternal transformation, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of eternal blessing. Uh, again, and then finally he says in verse 13, In that he says, a new covenant. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You know, I love this because the old covenant is obsolete. It's not needed anymore. Do we love the Old Testament? What's the the answer? Is that still the word of God? What's the answer? Do we still teach it here on Thursday nights? Don't say yes, you ain't been here. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But here's the reality. We teach the Old Testament because the Old Testament is all pointing to Jesus. But the Old Covenant has passed away because it's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and we don't need it anymore. And guess what? Old religion, that thing that you run to, I said this on Thursday night. It's amazing to me that the the Old Covenant, they put blocks between man and God. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and we can enter into his presence. But some places you go today, the, the priest is up on some platform up here. And some of them have a little picket fence in the front to keep you from getting up there. And then they have, you got to go into a box and talk to some guy that's in the chat. And you got to do all these things you got to do to try to hopefully get a little closer to God. And let me tell you something, anything that's between you and God needs to be removed. Because we are called to have intimate fellowship directly with him. Amen. And when, the, when they are adding to the cross, I got a text that the Pope wants me to pray the rosary every day this month. Not happening. Not paying, praying with vain repetition. And we need to pray for the Pope because he needs to get saved and a bunch of you just got offended. 
Amen? We call no man holy father. We got one holy father and he's in heaven. You call no man holy. We worship no man. We worship no religion. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ because he alone is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? And we don't care about robes. We don't care about buildings. The temple passed away. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can meet outside at a high school. And God is here. Can I get an amen to that? He is a better covenant. Amen? Religion is better. Religion is not better than a relationship. See what happens? It gets, gets ingrained in you. Relationship is better than religion. It's become obsolete. It's growing old. It's passing away. And again, our faith and our hope is in Christ alone. So in closing, a better covenant, four evidences of a better covenant. He's a better high priest. He is holy, harmless, sinless. His work is finished. He's enthroned on high. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The work's been done heavenly sanctuary. He's a better sacrifice, not a temporary sacrifice of bulls and goats, but the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's a better temple. It's a heavenly reality, not an earthly foreshadow of what is to come. Better promises because Jesus is our mediator to stand between sinful man and holy God that we could be restored. The promise of God's grace. The old covenant was dependent upon man. It failed miserably. The law is the standard to keep without the power to keep, but the new covenant is dependent upon God's grace and he will never fail. The promise of eternal change. We're all new creations in Christ transformed from the inside out. The promise of forgiveness, the lawless deeds. I will remember no more. I ask you one more time. Do you have a transformed heart? Have you given your life to Jesus? Do you know what it means to have a relationship and not religion? And do you know that you've been forgiven? If you don't, may today be the day of salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you that we serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. I thank you, Lord, that you are a better priest. I thank you, Lord, that it is finished and it's paid in full. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. The Bible tells us in Romans, again, if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we will be saved. Salvation comes from repentance. The word repent means to recognize that I'm a sinner that the path I'm headed is away from God and to turn and surrender my life to him. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. And confession unto salvation, if we just simply say, yes, I know I'm a sinner and, and Lord, I need to be forgiven. The Bible says, if you make that confession before men, he will confess you before his father in heaven. If you're here today and you've never done that, you've never openly confessed it before men. I'm not asking you to join a church. I don't want anything from you. It's going to give you an opportunity to know that when you leave here today, that you've been born again. What does that mean? We were born physically. We need to be born again spiritually. Do you know that you're forgiven? Has your heart been transformed? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? If you don't, we can change that right now. Anybody at all, raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray with you. Anybody at all. Today's the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. Don't worry about anybody else between you and the Lord. Anybody at all. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you so much. Let's pray together. Let me just pray. I'll pray for the, these two that raise your hands. These two of you raise your hand. Just repeat this either in your heart or out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask you, Lord, please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. 
that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Lord, I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.